Welcome back, guys, to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by a machinist. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson from Proteum Machining, and this week I'm joined by Jacob Aluel Blake from Pantechnicon Design. So welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've been listening since episode number one, and uh, I, hopefully I w- won't disappoint your audience. <laughs> and I've Oh, there have been a lot of uh, luminaries from um, and very influential people in, in my own journey that have been uh, guests previously. Um, <laughs> the Renzettis and the Grimsmos and um, and Jay Pearson and I mean like the the level of of conversations and guests that uh, you've been able to have so far have just been spectacular. So um, I'm excited to talk to you and hopefully we can. Uh, add a little bit as well definitely yeah i mean i think all anybody in my audience if all i have to do is take a look at your your website and you are definitely you know part of those people like you your guys design is is hands down gorgeous um so i guess let's start first off what is pantechnicon design what do you guys do for anybody who doesn't follow you um where where can they find you online and and let's then we'll dive into your uh, manufacturing journey. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started the company a little over seven years ago. And um, what we do is we make um, tools and accessories for coffee enthusiasts primarily. So um, if you go to our website, which is pantechnicondesign.com, what you'll see is is sets of accessories for customizing um, espresso machines primarily. So uh, a lot of people, it's it's similar to like a, a custom car sort of uh, scenario where it, the, th- the enthusiasts um, who are really into coffee and really into espresso will um, improve or both the performance or the um, the aesthetics of their machine, you know, it's, it's a thing that, um, takes up a big, big, uh, percentage of the real estate in your kitchen. And it's a, it's an expensive appliance. And so, um, it, it, and it's part of like everyone's morning coffee ritual, which is, is, uh, has a big importance in how you start your day. So it's, um, it's a thing that people are super passionate about. And, um, and we've, kind of identified early on um, a need to, and a, I, I had a, my own personal desire to um, improve what was existing and make things more beautiful. And um, I, I have just a maker at heart and have enjoyed making things for a long, long time. So um, it just kind of started as a hobby and as an interest and then, and then grew from there. Okay. So you started loving espresso and, and having it, uh, nice espresso machine and wanting to improve it? Well, so if you want to go all the way back, um, I started working in the coffee industry in, let's see, around the early 2000s, like 2003-ish. I was playing music at the time um, and uh, as a professional musician before my my work in manufacturing. And uh, so I just got a day job as a working at a local coffee roaster in Seattle and you got interested. I've always been interested in machines and um, how things work and equipment and stuff. So I started getting interested in the 
the coffee roasting equipment and the brewing equipment. And uh, early on, there's this guy in um, in Netherlands named Kays van der Westen, who is essentially like uh, um, he's he's an artist and a sculptor and has made like for for decades has made these crazy sort of one off bespoke um, sculptural espresso machine art pieces. And, and now he has a full factory with the full production line of, of um, different machine models. But I, I saw what he had done and uh, I was just like, my mind was blown. And I always kind of hoped in, in, in the back of my mind, like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool someday to be able to, to make really, really cool machines and, and do some kind of out of the box stuff. And, uh, and so eventually, through a, a progression of different jobs, then um, I was able started to you know develop uh, um, connections with customer my who would be my people who would be my future customers, and then um, had the opportunity to start a company um, when when the time was right. And um, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the backstory on that. And and I had also worked in manufacturing previously to having my own company. Um, I first worked at a, a espresso machine manufacturing company called La Marzocco. So I was doing some um, R&D and uh, assembling prototypes and stuff. And that was really like where I learned the nuts and the bolts of uh, how espresso machines work and kind of the, um, the behind the scenes manufacturing processes. And okay. then, yeah, so I, I really... But way before I started the company, I already knew the intimate um, details of uh, espresso machines. So, uh, which was super helpful because um, they're hot and there's steam and there's water and um, they're, you know, they, they get wet. And so there's a lot of um, uh, constraints when you're, you, you really have to be aware of, of what, how these things are being used, especially in a commercial setting, you know, so we have, um, commercial food service customers. And so you really got to be aware of like how these things are getting used so that they can perform out in the field in use. And, and so that you don't have to worry about things breaking or because like if, if your business is serving coffee and you buy a beautiful thing and it breaks, it, it doesn't really matter how beautiful it is. If it keeps you from serving coffee and <laughs> running your business, then it's, it's a real problem. So um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's so, like, you know, yeah. us buying CNC machines and having them break or something like that. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta be able to make your money somehow. So, and yeah, yeah I mean, looking at your website, you've got the whole how to customize an espresso machine tab and things like, you know, not painting or powder coating your drip tray or steam wands. Like I, I, when I, I like sit down and actually think about it, that makes sense. But you know, that's definitely not something that would have come to mind, you know, right off the bat. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of sort of niche um, uh, details about that are like really application specific that, that I learned um, through my work with the the manufacturing companies that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. Like um, in particular, there's all kinds of weird stuff. Like, like you would, you think of like silicone tubing as being like sort of, pretty um, impervious to um, different chemicals and stuff. And, 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 you know, it's used in food and cooking. And so you think like, okay, great. Silicone probably going to be great for coffee too, except that the, the oils in the coffee attack the silicone and it can be like um, 
they can start to seep through and like cause it to sort of decompose and degrade and fall apart. And so just like weird stuff like that, same with powder coat, like the, the coffee oils attack the uh, whatever plastic and binders and stuff they use in the powder coat and cause it to just like get all bubbly and weird and um, fail. So there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things you learn along the way. Yeah, seriously. So let, let's step back. So you said first you started with uh, La Marzocco. So was that the, your first manufacturing job? Or how that did you get first, into manufacturing? Yeah, that was my first um, manufacturing job. I, I just got hired to help um, one of the um, engineers assemble some prototypes for a new uh, machine model that they were launching. And so we really, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was just like, literally building stuff from scratch, like making all the wiring harnesses and making the tubes and like, you know, brazing the, the ferrules on all the ends of the copper tubes and bending all the tubes. And then, um, you know, making some manifolds and stuff on a, on a bridge port an old bridge port they had there. Like I had at, at that point, I think I had a, like a grizzly bench top, um, I don't remember which which grizzly bench top mill it was, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you get the idea. So my, you know, my my machining experience at that time was like grizzly bench top mill, and I don't even know if I had a, um, the first lathe that I got was a like a 1930s. Um, I forget what it even was, but it was like a flat belt uh, a Babbitt bearing. It was just like. It barely worked, but it was like enough to, to, uh, you know, make me realize that, you know, give me the the tools to start learning stuff and start learning how to thread stuff, um, with manual in feed and, you know, no, no indicators or anything It's just like just making stuff. Right. Uh, So after there, where did you go next? So after that, um, I left to go work uh, for a friend of mine that was starting a motorcycle aftermarket parts company called Altrider. And uh, so they specialize, they're still around um, making lots of parts and they uh, specialize in the adventure touring bikes. So like the, the R1200s and the, um, the BMW adventure bikes that people ride to Alaska or ride to Argentina or whatever, um, on big, long kind of like, uh, off-road style trips. Um, so we were making crash bars, skid plates, luggage racks, all that kind of stuff. And, um, working with, um, Seattle area manufacturers to make most of that. So I was doing the, um, product engineering on all that stuff. Um, so lots of like 3d tube, um, weldment designs and, uh, folded sheet metal stuff and not too much on the machined components, um, for what we were doing at that time, but lots of sheet metal and, um, tube for sure. Okay. So did you, did you go to school for this before you were a professional musician or did you just kind of <laughs> no, no, I learn just, it as you went or I, I just learned it as I went, um, well, wow. Like a lot of people in the the uh, the community, there's a, a lot of self-taught folks that that just kind of learn learn what they're interested in as they go. And I definitely am uh, uh, count myself among them. And I just kind of like 
first um, taught myself like the, the CAD side of things. Um, started with SolidWorks a long time ago, and then uh, I use Fusion now, but um, just gradually uh, added skills as I needed them. So, uh, so yeah, um, never went to um, engineering school or trade school or any of that. Um, although it's what I should have been doing, quite honestly. <laughs> I would have had way more fun. Um, but uh, actually studying music is a, a really good way to, to um, teach yourself how to be like super disciplined and, and uh, super uh, 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 like give yourself a really uh, good work ethic and just like uh, learning how to fail and and try again and fail and try again and fail and try again is, is like pretty much what it's all about. So, which serves you well if you're trying to make parts and have all kinds of weird problems cropping up. Yeah, totally. So, where did you go after then? After Altrider? So after that, I worked at uh, actually one of my suppliers um, was hiring a design engineer. So uh, it's a company called Sportworks. And they make all of the um, the bike racks that go on the front of the metro buses. You probably have them in your area where there's a, a folds down bike rack on the front of the city bus where it has a little arm that like you fold the rack down and then there's a little tray where you lift your bike up in there and then sort of a spring-loaded arm that um, grips onto the front wheel. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have those on our buses. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I was doing, um, um, essentially manufacturing engineering there. So, um, you know, we, there's a, uh, they had a few robotic welders, um, and a few, they actually built their own, um, bead blast robot bead blast cell with a, a fanic robot kind of like, it's sort of like a shipping container size thing. Cause those racks are pretty big. And so they hung a, a fanic robot upside down from the roof of this thing and then um would program the the bead blast for those those bike racks um all through the teach pendant it was just like a, a nightmarish programming job to try to get like uniform surface finishes on on those um like irregular curvy bent 3d stainless steel racks and try to like get the all the the surface finish all blended, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they were doing a lot of really cool stuff. That company actually started out making, um, like way back in the day, early days, mountain biking and early days, uh, skiing. They, they sort of figured out how to do the, um, like the butted tubing for mountain bike handlebars and like variable thickness, um, tubing where, where they'd have like mandrel benders that could could deal with these um, you know 3D bent shapes with with this tubing that that people weren't really used to it was like a new material and they kind of figured out how to how to deal with it on the on the 3D bending tube bending side um, wow so interesting yeah super interesting spot with and really great people and um, it, it turned out to be super influential for me too because they that's kind of where I learned about um, lean manufacturing for the first time. And they had done um, 
their whole production team had done a lean training um, up at uh, a place in Washington called Cause Tailored that does a bunch of aerospace um, interiors. And they're, they're sort of, they've been doing um, lean and sharing um, lean um, instruction with, with local, uh, let's say like the regional companies that were interested in it. They kind of like set up a thing where you could, um, you know, bring bring the team from your company and come see their place, and um, and then they would do like a reciprocal visit and come see what you were doing, and uh, a really cool thing. Um, so, anyways, that's that's kind of like how I first heard about lean manufacturing being a thing. Uh, but previously, I didn't know anything about it, and um, got to design a bunch of weld fixtures and. Um, forming fixtures and tube bending fixtures and stuff. And so that was primarily what I did there was uh, tooling design and, and go out onto the, the shop floor and like, you know, you have a concept, you, you think you know how it's going to work. Then you go sit with the welders and you're like, oh crap, like how did I miss that your TIG torch isn't going to be able to like fit in this one spot where you got to finish the weld on, on the thing. So it was a really good learning experience about like, had a had a um, concept of tooling design and then go sit with the people who are actually doing the the process and try to understand like how to make it better and um, see what all the the uh, um, the necessary stuff is that you need to think about when you're actually doing the the tooling design process so that you can make good parts and make it easy for somebody to do their job and be successful and get the parts through inspection and all that. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, being able to learn lean, you know, not on your own dime, I think is uh, something <laughs> yeah. that a lot of us don't get to do. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, pretty much everything that I say in this whole podcast is just basically my ex- own experience. And I might be totally wrong. And uh, hopefully it's useful to somebody, but it's, I'm by no means an expert in any of this. Uh, no, well, and, and like I've always kind of seen lean similar to like meditation where like, you know, nobody's an expert, but just knowing that it's there and like continually reminding yourself that it's an option is a like, <laughs> yeah. is, you know, kind of the point of it is like, oh, maybe this isn't the most lean thing to do. Like, you know, yeah, totally. I think as humans, we're not we're not really programmed to be lean in general. Um and so, like, it, it's definitely a continual process, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So um, after that, yeah. after there, where did you go next? Yeah, so after, um, so I worked uh, at Sportworks uh, for a little while. And um, and while I was there, I had some uh, old customers from the coffee industry that called me up. And we're like, hey, we want to do this. We're building this store in, in Manhattan. We want to do this crazy machine. Um, are you in? I was like, yeah, heck yeah, let, let's do something. And so basically, I just kind of like moonlighted for a few projects. Um, you know, I, I was still working my day job and then I just go home and um, do design and, uh, you know, design all the, the sheet metal for these couple projects. Um, the, com- the customers, called Stumptown Coffee, which is uh, now they're uh, a nationwide uh, chain. They have a couple stores in in New York and L.A. and 
Um, they're based in Portland. But anyway, so so I was kind of moonlighting and did these these couple projects for him, but it was a lot of work. And, um, you know, you get home from your day job and then you work until like, you know how it is. Like you go to the, <laughs> go back to the shop for another four hours or something. And that's fine for a while, but um, definitely not totally sustainable. And so at the time I wasn't married and didn't have any kids or anything. So I, uh, and it was always something that I wanted to do. So I figured I'd, uh, it was the, the right time to, to start the business. And, and yeah, so that was seven years ago. Uh, and a lot has happened since then. We've made a whole bunch of machines and made a whole bunch of parts and feel like we're just now kind of like getting going. So excited to <laughs> see what comes next too. Yeah. So uh, before we kind of dive into your business, where does the name come from? So Pantechnicon means uh, the house of all the arts and crafts. So when I, like kind of from the early days when I started making stuff, like um, I've always been interested in making uh, furniture and um, learning different ways of making things. And so even before I had like an actual manufacturing job, I was messing around with making furniture and um, messing around with metal casting and machining. And then um, like in 2007 or something, I built a CNC router that we actually still use to this day, which is just like crazy to think about. It's like, uh, uh, the travels like uh, basically like 36 by 48. So it'll take like a half sheet of plywood or oh, wow. half, sheet of half sheet of material. So it's pretty big. Um, and I like welded up the whole, uh, base frame for it. That's like a tube two a two by two tube steel frame with, uh, like THK linear actuators for, for the Y. And then a, I, I built a, a big gantry out of 80, 20 and, uh, rails and a ball screw for the X. And you said this was 2007. Yes, it was like super early days in, in the, well, maybe not super early, but uh, for me, it was super early days in, in, the, in the forums and YouTube. There wasn't nearly as uh, much resources and, and parts as now, as there, back then as there is now. Um, but anyway, it was, it was a really fun project and it like got me interested in CNC machines and um, programming <laughs> and... Well, that's, that that's like, pretty amazing that you've made something that has lasted 13 years too. Like, yeah. I would, like, honestly, it probably would have been like much better if I had just thrown it away like five <laughs> years ago than um, bought something else. But, but anyway, it, it's fine for, for what we're using it for. And uh, it's, it's like, I said, it's still making parts. So it's like, uh, it's, uh, there's nothing terribly wrong with it, but uh it's just it's funny that it's it's lived uh, had such a long life way longer than i ever would have guessed and made more parts than i ever would have guessed so back to the beginning of uh pantechnicon so you started it but so were you doing pieces and parts like you do now because you you do parts for espresso machines in addition to full custom builds so did you start out with just the custom builds or start out with just the parts or was it kind of everything at once or, you know, how did that start? 
We started out with just the custom builds, actually, and and this is this is maybe like a um, one example. Like lots of times when people start businesses, it's uh, it's not really the like they they think that it's going to be one thing, and then they quickly figure out that it needs to be something else, and they have to pivot and go kind of a different direction. And that's that's kind of what we found with the custom builds. Um, so we we started out doing custom builds and. Um, doing like a one-off or a two-off thing, but it's it's pretty expensive and it's uh, very difficult to scale and there's a lot of labor and the the parts are really big. Like you know, from making stuff, like the the difficulty of achieving a, a really good surface finish is is directly related to the size of the part right so <laughs> like if, if you got to have like a perfect surface finish and your part is two inches by two inches okay great but what if it's like three feet long by you know by two feet wide like it it just it, just the complexity of of achieving good results just goes up and up with the size and the number of parts that you have so, so I guess all that to say that it, it becomes the, the size of the parts um, can can make it difficult to scale if if you have a bunch of processes that um, where it's hard to get uh, good results repeatedly, like powder coat, like metal finishing, like plating, um, like all those places are just a nightmare to take your part. So if you spend thousands of dollars making stuff and then you take them to the plater and they screw it up and you know how it goes. It's, it, it's very difficult. And, and it's also important to, to note that at the beginning it was just me. And so as a, as a solopreneur, um, you're very, very, um, constrained by just the number of hours in the day. Um, so I, I actually should have looked up when, when we started doing the production parts, but let's say um, a couple of years into the business, we started doing um, production parts for La Marzocco, um, the U.S. distributor. So essentially it's like a um, like an accessory that's offered at the, the time of the equipment sale. Oh, that's great. Wow. Yeah, which, which is amazing. And so they are by far our biggest um, customer currently. And we also have retail customers that go to our website and um, find stuff and lots of international customers as well. Um, but we but the bulk of our um, production numbers are for Lombrizoco in the U.S. So with your custom ones, do you guys work with La Marzocco, like do, how, how much of it, do, do you just buy one off the shelf from them and then fully customize everything? Or, you know, how, how much is factory supported, I guess, in your customization process? Uh, it's, uh, we have a really good relationship with them and have for a long time. And we're very, very fortunate to have that. And so we're also a dealer, um, a wholesale dealer for them. So we, we essentially, if somebody buys a machine for us, from us um we can buy the um buy the machine from the distributor do the customization and then send it to the customer and the and the warranty and everything is still remains intact and it's kind of a a seamless 
um, process as far as the customer is concerned. Because um, basically all the, the internal um, parts of the machine aren't changed dramatically. So they can still get parts and service and stuff. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm looking through your Instagram as we speak and like some of these are so gorgeous. Like I, I love all the wooden black metal ones and you just finished the one with uh, Neil from Discommon, which I was just looking at the renders for that. Um, yeah. That was a crazy project. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it's gorgeous. Yeah. That thing I'm, I'm excited to be able to share some more um, pictures of that um, coming up here shortly. There's basically, so the, the body of that thing is all, um, let's say like the, the two sides and the customer facing back uh, side of it is all billet. Um, and it's all 6061 anodized black. And uh, some of the big pieces were, were too big for us to fit in our machine, but uh, all the little pieces, there's like these little uh, like long spindly cup rails that like where, where no two sides are parallel. Like everything is, is like a twisting sort of like um, a twisting surface on there. And so it was a, a, a just a ton of um, like super creative uh, setups and programming to figure out how to make all that stuff. Um, it was a, definitely a, a, a big challenge and um I think the the result is pretty spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you can really see their design language through it too, which is really cool. I mean, it reminds me a lot of the desk they did a few years ago. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's yeah, yeah that's amazing. It, it really is quite cool. Yeah, I mean, what they sent me for that was it was just a a, a dumb solid. So. So basically it, it like didn't have any components. It, it was just like, uh, like, it, like the, the form was, was there, but it wasn't split into components and it wasn't, it wasn't fit exactly to the espresso machine. So like, it was just like, it was a, an espresso machine body ish. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, so it was a, a, a really cool, um, process to, to be able to take what they had and then split it up into components and, and keep it as true to the, the design intent as possible and, and then um, figure out how to make all this stuff and, and actually do it. It was super cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So you, you mentioned setups and stuff. What kind of machinery do you guys currently have? So um, we have a Speedio S500 and that we've had for two years uh, about and we have two um Tormach slant pro lathes and we have a laser and just like a um a co2 en engraving laser and a bunch of wood shop um standard wood shop type stuff bandsaw belt sanders um, that kind of a thing and then the the uh, tried and true 2007 custom built CNC router. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! Well, and actually, that gets into one of our listener questions from White Weasel. He 
he said he didn't know what CNC machines you use, but how do you guys keep or how do you manage, you know, between metal and wood chips and, and dustiness of, you know, wood stuff and the cleanliness of machining? Um, how do you guys manage that in your shop? Um, we have lots of dust collection and we've made, um, made quite a few custom dust collection um, solutions, let's say. It's, it's a thing that's super important if, if you're doing, if you're working with uh, powdery materials or wood, um, especially inside CNC machines, you, you got to figure out how to do the dust control. And so um, we've basically had to design and build um, a solution for all of our machines. And uh, I think was there, there's an aspect of that question too, about um, changing, uh, switching back and forth. And so really the thing is like the machines don't care that much about if there's dust in there, but what's really the, the, uh, the main issue is if there's water or like if, if there's parts, parts of them inside the machine that, that stay wet with coolant, then um, there's in, in a lot of woods, there's tannic acid, um, which is like the, the sort of like brown, brown stuff that the brown color of the wood and, and the, the tannic acid reacts with steel and will rust. So basically like the, the thing that, that you really got to figure out is if you're switching back between wood and metal, because you really got to figure out how to get the, the water or coolant out of all the little nooks and crannies, like up inside your, your tool holders. So like up, like up above the collet, uh, kind of in the gap between the, the top of the tool hole, like, let's say like below the pull stud, but above the, the collet, like in there, that doesn't dry out very well. And there's really no way to dry it out except to like take all your tool holders apart. Um, so, um, so really that, that's like, that's the main challenge, uh, besides okay. the, the, the dust control. So how much are you, are you moving things, you know, in the, the speedio or I guess in the slant pros, like, are you mixing materials quite often or do you kind of try to dedicate, you know, one slant pro for wood and one for metal? Like what's your, your, uh, workflow on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's exactly what we do. Um, the, the slant pros, one is wet metal and one is wood and, uh, the speedio, we have to go back and forth cause we only have one and we only have room for one. Um, someday we'll, um, get more space so we can have another machine, but for the moment we got to switch back and forth. And so we try to kind of like schedule our, production such that we can do a bunch of metal and then switch over and then do a bunch of wood and then go, just kind of go back and forth. And it's honestly, it, it doesn't work that um, badly to do it that way. It's not, not so awful. That's good. Yeah. So do you just, do you plan on whenever you machine wood in the speedio, just taking everything apart? Is that part of your scheduling, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. We try to, um, we have enough tool holders so that like the, the metal cutting toolers we can actually pull out of the machine and uh, load in the, the wood cutting toolers and just kind of like swap them back, back and forth. 
Oh, nice. Was, okay. That makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not so bad. Um, but you really got to like stay on top of the maintenance and like make sure your spindle taper is staying clean. And cause like the dust will like go up inside by the, the draw bar and the, the little uh, gripper balls that grab onto the pull stud and everything. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it could be rough. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> it's it's nerve wracking enough to buy a expensive CNC machine, um, but if you if you don't actually like if you if you have an application, and you don't actually know if the thing that you're going to use it for is going to like destroy the machine. <laughs> it just like adds another level of uh, concern and. Uh, uh, nervousness to the whole process so yeah definitely uh so that actually backing up to what you you were talking about the transition from making only custom machines to making your own products to uh fort manufacturing asked how did you determine there was a market for your products and then how do you decide what product to focus on next so are you getting customer requests to you know find what you're going to start making next or is it things that you want you know as a, a coffee consumer you know what what makes you decide to venture into a new product? Yeah, I think um, to, to sort of generalize the answer a little bit, I, I think that uh, that the, the best products are made in response to um, someone's own need or um, noticing an improvement that can be made in, in something that that you use yourself, because um, that's kind of like the the way that you get the best insight is is if you are actually the user of the product that you're trying to design. So um, so that was um, part of the reason that I um, designed a lot of this stuff is because I I was the as a user of these machines I, I was intimately aware of of what could be done and and what would be nice to do. And so I was sort of scratching my own itch in that way. And then um, in addition, we had, um, you know, the the distributor approach as and want to do uh, some product lines for, because they saw an opportunity for their um, customers to, to add accessories to, to these machines. Uh, and there wasn't really uh, an established market for a lot of this stuff when we first started either. And so... It, it, it's, it's a good question because if there's no market for the thing that you're making, it could be that it's just because nobody has, has bothered to do it before, or it could be that, um, that it's not a thing that people really care about doing. And so you, it's like somehow you got to figure out uh, what the situation is. And, and there's a bunch of ways you can kind of learn more about that. You can, you know, send samples to people and see what they if they like it or you can, um, you know, do some market research or you can, you know, there's all kinds of like crazy uh, keyword research tools that are available these days. You can look like find out what people are searching for on, uh, on Google searches. Um, yeah. But uh, anyways, you got to kind of figure out like, uh, like how, how heavy is it? How heavy of a lift is it going to be? to to create the the customer base if it doesn't already exist if, if it's already a thing that people buy and you can improve on what's already existing or like bring something new to to the offering or um 
like put your own spin or uh, or uh, take on a thing, then then that's obviously a different story. And that's that's great to have that already established because building a thing, a customer base from scratch uh, that where people don't might not already know that it's an even a thing that you could do is definitely challenging. Yeah. So what what tipped you guys off? Because you were already doing these custom machines. Were you getting requests from current customers or did you, like you said, send out samples, do some market research? What was your tipping point, I guess, into realizing that this was going to be a big part of your business or, or was it your distributorship with uh, La Marzocco? Yeah, it was it was really the the partnership that we had with La Marzocco that uh, that enabled us to um, to launch that in, in a bigger way, because really like at, at the beginning um without some orders to build volume like it, it's it's pretty hard to um to drive the business uh with enough volume to to get it going so so somehow you you have to to get yourself the the initial orders to to start the momentum and like start the wheel churning um and depending on what industry you are, what industry you're in, you, you could do, go about that in different ways. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question really. But it, we oh, were, totally for, yeah. yeah, we were fortunate that we like had some um, some partnerships where they could help start driving the sales by using their own, um, you know, marketing resources and and. Um, their own sales resources. Yeah, well, that totally makes sense. Um, and then Fort also asked, uh, "Are there? Do you have any crazy customer or vendor stories? You know, I guess any crazy customizations you've been asked to make that you can share or anything like that." Uh, there was a crazy one that we did in Australia, um, where it's like this. It's also a, a very like sort of like sculptural bespoke uh, all brass brass plated aluminum machine and on the top of it on the top of the machine there there are these um, analog dials that are the the brew timers for the machine so the it's like a kind of like a um, a clock in a rally car kind of situation where like if you turn on the the brew water, the the clock will start on on each brew head, and there's there's actually like one one face of the dial facing the operator and one face facing the customer, and all of the the dials were all repurposed um, like aircraft and industrial gate like panel meters like uh, like an amp meter or a, a volt meter that you see like on a big um, instrument control panel and like a, um, a power station or something. I, I'm sure you've, you've seen the kind of thing where there's like just like a, a whole wall full or like an, an aircraft um, instrument control panel where there's a, a whole dashboard full of dials. Yeah, so totally. we took, we took uh, a bunch of uh, a- antique dials and then um, created a, let's see, that thing was, um, Arduino, an Arduino-based thing to interface with the machine so that all these things were 
were controlled and, and integrated into the, um, the existing machine wiring. And so that it could just be like connected with USB essentially. Um, anyway, that was pretty nuts. That, that took way longer than it should have. And it was <laughs> not, not a, uh, not, not a revenue earner, but a, a fun project. Oh yeah. I just found the video and pictures of it on your Instagram. That is super cool. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, it, it's really, really hard to to grow a business doing projects like that because they uh, just take forever and there's like no scale or um, re- repeat business in, in doing stuff like that. And it's it's stuff that I really enjoy doing, but man, it will it will destroy your business in a hurry if you let it um, <laughs> take too many resources. Well, and I can't imagine keeping all of that brass you know, mirror oh, polish for yeah. that, like it, it makes me nervous just watching it. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a quite the undertaking for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh so T5 manufacturing it asked, do you have a coffee bar in your shop? We do. Um we have a Lamarzuko Linea Mini in there. And uh we also have just a drip coffee brewer. Um that's a, a Bona Vida drip coffee brewer that um, the guys like, and I like too. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's, we don't have like a giant coffee bar, just like a little tiny spot. We're, we're very space constrained, so everything has to be kind of like shoehorned into a little tiny nook or cranny. <laughs> so you mentioned that a few times. How big is your shop? I mean, how many square feet are you guys pushed into uh the shop is at my house so we have oh, yeah so we have um basically like a one car garage where the um, lathes in the mill are and then a basement level in the one car garage which is where the wood shop is so that's maybe like i want to say like uh, uh 20 but so it might be 300 square feet on each level so that's like 600 combined and then there's a whole other sort of like daylight basement level that's maybe another 800 or so um so you know it's like 1200 square feet or so if you add it all together but it's split up between three different rooms kind of wow and so how many of there are you now at pantechnicon uh, there's four of us. So there's myself plus um, three others of our team and soon to be more, probably hire another maker type person um, pretty shortly. And uh, I'd love to be able to hire like a, a marketing media creator, um, maybe sales type person sometime this year as well. Okay. Um so one more question from T5, and then I want to jump back to that because uh, when you when we when I first reached out to you, you, you felt that hiring an employee and all of that stuff was something that you really wanted to talk about, and I definitely want to talk about it too because I don't think that we've really kind of gone down that route because I'm not really there. Peyton wasn't really there either. Um, so uh, yeah, first off, uh, T5 asks, "What's your favorite material to work with?" Um, I really like. Uh... I like a lot of materials. I, I really like walnut. Um, 
and I really like uh, brass and stainless steel. And what I really like most of all, I think, is combining them in interesting and different ways. And I think you'll probably see that in a lot of the um, products that we design and make is that there's combinations of, of different materials that um, you don't usually see together or um, that, are, that are put together in, in such a way that they um, sort of like a clean clean design and uh, a clean aesthetic that yeah. kind of highlights aspects of, of both materials. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the uh, tamps you made for Chew Innovations and they're copper and oh, red yeah, oak copper. and like that. You really you guys, you guys do an amazing job with mixed material work. That's very wow. difficult. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've done woodworking. My dad, you know, was a woodworker, um, not by trade, but back in the day. And so I've done a lot of woodworking. I've now done a lot of machining. I know how drastically different they can be and so combining them with seamless lines is is no easy feat yeah that is for sure Uh, and then his last question was uh what are your favorite coffee beans and best way to make a cappuccino um favorite coffee there's a lot of really good coffee out there these days um there's a local roaster in seattle called seven as in like the number seven um, I think their website is sevenroasters.com, uh, sevencoffeeroasters.com. And um, there's lots of um, people that are doing subscription services um, where there's like a variety of coffee available. There's uh, a retailer that does a really good job called Seattle Coffee Gear that offers uh, a, a, a number of coffees from different roasters and a great selection. Um, so I guess if you're, if you're looking for good coffee, um, check out your local area and, and see what the local coffee roasters are doing. And obviously like if you can support somebody that's local, that's better. Um, and if you need something just to, uh, get you going and somewhere to start, go to, um, La Marzocco home has a, a subscription service or, uh, Seattle Coffee Gear has a bunch of stuff, and you can at least have a spot to start, and then you can go explore from there. Cool, very cool. All right, well, let's jump into employees. You know, when did you first hire your first one? Let's kind of go down that story, and then you know, lessons learned and all of those kind of things. Yeah. So, um, first employee was probably. Uh, 2015 or so. Um, and I, I think probably there's a lot of people who might be solopreneurs or might have a, a family business type situation. Um, myself, um, I don't have any other family members involved in the business directly. Uh, so, so much. I'm not in that situation, but that's kind of a different, um, a family business situation is, um, is a little bit different, but, um, if it's just you, then one thing that can be useful to kind of ask yourself is, is, uh, like, why would you want to hire an employee or, um, like ask yourself, like what kind of like what your business is for, 
and and like why why you're actually doing your business um because essentially like like you you need to be able to know those things in order to understand um what you what you want to accomplish with by hiring the employees um so uh like for me basically all, all of our parts that we make are very labor intensive and so uh, you know there's a lot of hand finishing and um, sanding and uh, in a business there's there's just a lot of things to do uh, generally anyways and so i quickly found out that like i just didn't there was just too much to do and i just didn't have time to to do all of the things that needed to be done and um and so like I, in my in my learning since then, I've I've come to realize that there's there's really um, no way to to create leverage in your business without um, without hiring employees and without um, leveraging uh, the economics. You can either leverage the the money or you can leverage uh, labor or you can have a, if you're lucky enough to have like a, a zero marginal cost of production product, like a software product where you can just replicate it by replicating the ones and zeros, then, then you're great. But, but otherwise the only way to grow your business is by, um, by hiring employees. Um, so, so that's, that's that's what we started doing in in 2015 and uh it it's very very challenging on a number of um on a number of levels but but it's also a really exciting opportunity and it's um something that has brought a lot of um purpose also to the the work that i'm doing and um some of the reasons why it it's been so critical for us um, besides the obvious, just like having more help to do stuff, is that it, it actually forced it forced me to build an economic model of the business that um, that was actually realistic. Because if you are operating your business um, and you uh, if you don't have to deal with things like payroll taxes or um, or paying yourself as a as an entrepreneur or business owner a fair market wage, then, then you don't really have a, an accurate economic picture of, of what your business is doing or what it's capable of, or what you should be doing as a business owner to improve the performance of your business. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I, I often struggled with, um, knowing like nobody tells you like, okay, great. You started a business, but n nobody will tell you like, Oh, like um, this is like how to get to the next stage, or this is what you should be doing, or um, you're you're doing good, you're doing bad. Like it's all sort of like nebulous um, um, metrics. Like it, it's it's very difficult to know if what you're doing is the right thing or the wrong thing, especially if you're in like a sort of like surviving. Um, like if it's it's good if it's like really bad or it's good if it's really good because then you know like uh, it's either good or it's bad but if you're so like somewhere in the middle 
and um, you're like getting by, but maybe, you know, maybe you're just like barely getting by. It's difficult to know sometimes like, well, like, how do I, how do I get to the next level? Because you, you're just like sort of, you're doing well enough that you don't want to like totally quit and do something else, but you're not like doing as well as you hope. So it can be difficult to navigate those um, situations sometime. Sure. Um, so having said that, who was your first employee and what made you, what qualities made you hire them? Like what were you hiring them for? Was it just handwork stuff to offload or was it specifically to complement your skill set? Yeah, so the first hire was a friend of mine who um, had made musical instruments. So he was working in a production wood shop um, for a, a local instrument maker. And so I, I already knew him, which was great. And he already had the skill sets that on the what like the fine word word work and finishing um, that were I knew would he could totally do the work already, which was great. And, um, and I, I was already friends with him. So I knew like personality wise that we'd be a good, uh, a good match. And, and so, so that worked out, um, well for a while. And, and basically like once you decide to hire somebody and then, what you quickly learn is that you you have to it, it really one reason that it's a really it's it's great it was great for me to do was because it really forces you to to step up your game in the um, the documentation and process side of your business because like uh, if you if there's some things that you're really good at that you're a specialist at you might not realize um, the degree to which it it is going to be difficult to pass those things off to someone else. So like, I'm sure that you have some parts that you make where, you know, there's some finesse required and you know how to finesse them. And it may or may not be uh, difficult to explain to somebody else how to do the same level of finesse. And what I found is that, that there were some, let's say, um, process reliability issues in our manufacturing that that i could kind of like gloss over if i was doing it myself like you know that this insert will work or that insert will work or if you just do this and then that um you can kind of like um make the manufacturing process work but if you're handing it off to somebody else that that doesn't have the same experience with cnc machines or doesn't have the same experience with um, with whatever, uh, you really have to tighten up your game on the, um, on the process reliability and, and documentation side to help them be successful. Um, and, and so that, that was a, a, a big learning experience for sure is like trying to understand what things you can do because, um, because you know how to do them and what things you know how to do and that only you can do that way. And really your process isn't repeatable. And so you need to like fix your process before you hand them off to somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one thing that my day job has given me is that continual reinforcement of that idea. Um, you know, I, I have people, I've set up guys coming in daily or, or, you know, people on the floor saying, Hey, 
should we be watching this? Should we be doing this? Like I, and like you said, it's something that you innately do, but having to put it in words is, is something new. Yeah, for sure. So do you guys have prints then for all of your products and, and, you know, can anybody pick them up more or less in, in your company? That's, that's kind of the idea is that we have a, a process that is, uh, that anybody can run if, you know, if you, assuming some basic level of training on the particular piece of equipment that we have a, a binder with all the drawings in it. And um, the idea is that anybody should be able to go grab the binder and, and be able with a minimal amount of training, be able to make whatever um, parts need to be made. Uh, we've had a lot of new equipment in the, let's say in the last year or so uh, and new new programs, new processes, new ways of doing stuff that that have, have been big improvements, but we haven't totally caught up again, caught the documentation up where, with where our current level of production is. So I definitely need to um, spend some time to go back and um, catch everything up to the current um, state. But but that's the idea is to have a, have a process that um, we can drop anybody into without any special um, skills necessarily other than you got to want to learn and you work hard and pay attention and if you can do those things we should be able to train you to to be successful making whatever stuff we need to make and that's kind of the goal totally um so you, you said you had two other employees besides uh your first hire what yeah. did you hire them for and, and what do they do um so We've been, um, so we've had, uh, let's see, we have three employees currently and the first two employees have since moved on. So this isn't like, um, sequential necessarily. Um, so we have our, the current roles that we have right now are a production manager, uh, who also, um, is the, um, operator on the brother and then and one guy who is uh, shipping and doubles in production uh, wood finishing, sanding, finishing, runs the bandsaw, can run the um, CNC lathe. And one guy who is like the finishing specialist who um, who just fills in if needed on, you know, deliveries or shipping or um, some other some other area, but is is mainly production focused. So those are the main the main roles that we have now is the the production manager slash slash uh, operator um, mill lathe operator shipping slash production and production specialist. Very cool. Yeah. How did you I guess determine those roles? Were you were those the roles that you were hiring for or was those, are these roles that kind of everybody grew into as you found a need? Uh, I would say that, that it, it's, it, it was not, um, I didn't have some master plan where I um, then filled the roles. I, I think that, that they are, the roles are emerging and evolving as, um, as our internal processes evolve and as, um, our current team grows in, in skill and, um, uh, capability. So 
so we, we try to identify what people are interested in and what their strengths are, and then um, like give them opportunities to excel in those those areas. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, a an evolving an evolving thing. Okay, and then remind me again, what were the roles that you're looking to fill coming up here? You said a maker type. Yeah, so it's sort of like general general production. Um, and uh, a media creator slash marketing slash sales type role. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, um, but if you like manufacturing and you're you're listening to this and you want to do um, some like a a role that is uh, somewhat related to any of those things, then <laughs> you should definitely uh, hit us up. So as far as media creation, are you talking about your Instagram or are you wanting to start a YouTube channel or do you have one? Um, what, what, what kind of media are you guys looking to put out? We do have a YouTube channel. Right now it's uh, mostly just like uh, instructional installation, instructional videos. Um, but yeah, there's there's a huge potential for, um, for product-related videos. There's a huge potential for... Uh, like the, on the product photography side, there's a bunch of work that needs to be done. Um, yeah. So, so both still imagery and, um, video and, um, marketing content, um, production is, is what we need to do. Basically we're, we're very manufacturing focused and we're, we're definitely underspending on, uh, marketing right now. And so I'm, I'm really trying to, to focus more of my attention on the sales and marketing side so I can get some uh, additional uh, resources going on that, whether it's outsourced or an internal hire to do some of that stuff that is not getting done currently. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And social media seems to be the right place to spend that kind of money um, as far as yeah. advertising goes. Yeah, I think so. A couple other little details on the um, on the employee side. I, I think that that there's some some other um, ancillary things that that come as a consequence of that. Like it, it might seem sort of like trivial on the from the um, if you're looking at it from the outside, but it can actually like make a big difference in your business. Um, and the, the the granular detail on that is that if you have employees, then it, it sort of requires that you have an accounting system that can can pay employees in a reasonable way. And so it, it will like there's there's lots of people that, you know, might not have like a, a cloud based accounting system and might be writing invoices by hand or something, which might be fine kind of except that then there's no like no reporting that you can do that's possible and um they might think that like well like how do you do all the filings and the taxes and everything for hiring employees um and so if it if it what you need to do is like get get moved into an actual accounting platform and then then you can offload all of the tax filings and, and all of that to a bookkeeper and they can just like log into your, um, your accounting platform and do all of that for you. And then you can um, have more information about what's going on in your business and 
um, spend your time doing other things. Uh, so, so it can really, it can really um, be the impetus to to uh, spur these other kind of foundational structural changes in your business, um, and free you up to do the things that allows your business to grow and uh, allow you as the business owner or entrepreneur to um, focus on on how to steer the ship and and less on all the like nitty gritty day-to-day stuff that is um that you can hand off to somebody else oh yeah i I totally agree one thing that's stuck with me from an early episode we had was from kelvin um he said you know you'll never waste money spending it on an accountant or a lawyer and that really (laughs) stuck with me is like oh yeah i guess that totally makes sense like all it's going to do is prevent future headache and heartache so um yeah I, i I definitely encourage anybody who's not in a, a true bookkeeping software to at least look into it. A lot of them offer free trials too, so you can figure out what you like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the other thing that um, is a big piece of it is um, basically the as soon as you start bringing on employees, then then the the main all pretty much all let's all I'll just say all of the challenges that you face are leadership challenges so you have to definitely up your your game on um, educating yourself on becoming a bigger better leader and um, and and really focus your attention on how you can improve uh, yourself as a leader because really at the end of the day like everything is your fault and um, if you like, if somebody doesn't work out, it, it's your fault because you maybe you hired the wrong person, or it's your fault because you didn't um, understand how to train them properly, or it's your fault because um, you didn't give them the right op- opportunities, or um, uh, and so on and so forth. So it it's like it, it it's great because it it can actually. Um, give you the uh, some of the tools that can help address maybe like things that have been getting in the way of other parts of your life uh, help you be a, a better better parent or partner or spouse or whatever and help you be a better boss so it's, it's kind of like a win-win for for everybody and um, but it's it's challenging for sure like the uh, as soon as you add people into the mix, uh, you know, different people with uh, people are complicated and um, uh, it, it can definitely present a lot of challenges, but it can also be super rewarding as well. Totally. So in, in that vein, do you have any resources you'd recommend as far as books or classes or, you know, what, what have you done that you, you felt really helped you become a better leader? Um. I, so... I just like read everything that I, I possibly can um, listen to podcasts, read books. Um, so there's, there's a, a bunch of, there's just a ton of, of, of resources out there. Um, listen, read all of Jocko's books, listen to all of Jocko's podcasts, then read them all again. <laughs> then I thought you might have. Been talking about extreme ownership a little bit there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there's just a ton of um, a, a ton in all of those books. That is, um, there's a lot to chew on. 
Um, let's see, Andy Grove um, has a really good um, book called High Output Management. That's kind of like one of the, the classics. Um, but yeah, the, there's there's just a ton of, of available materials out there. And, and so just listen to other people that um, like the Tim Ferriss podcast has uh, interviews and conversations with leaders of amazing companies from all over the world. And if you just write down all the books that they mention and you um, go and check out the ones that you think are would be most interesting to you, then there's just like a, an endless amount of um, knowledge to be had. Awesome. Yeah, I think like there are so many resources out there. So I, I definitely agree. And I, I would definitely recommend uh, Extreme Ownership, if not just to get you in that mindset of uh, like the whole point of that book for me, like, yes, it's take Extreme Ownership, but it's blame is completely useless. And so be, you know, solutions focused, yeah. not blame focused. Right. That's how you right. Get especially, yeah, especially if, it, if you are an entrepreneur or business owner, then um, then there is no excuse because you are it everything is literally your fault like every every last single thing and you're <laughs> the only one you're the only one that can fix it and if if it's not getting fixed that's it's just because of your lack of action or uh, yeah making the wrong call so if you're thinking about getting into business remember it is always your fault for the rest <laughs> of your time at that business. So you got to be okay with handling that. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so let's get into shop stuff. What's new in your shop, you know, in the last week or the last month, what's been going on that uh, you're excited about? Um, so the recent, the newest recent thing, uh, well, the newest recent machine is uh, one of the, is the second Tormach wave. Um, I'm, we have a fairly recent um, software. It's, it's not really anything fancy, but it's exciting to me because it's it's just like way better than we had before. It's a um, a manufacturing planning um, spreadsheet that I paid a couple of bucks to somebody to do some custom programming so that we can basically like enter orders and then have the the spreadsheet. Um, populate all of the ordering for raw materials ordering um, that we need to do for manufacturing. So um, that's been a huge improvement for um, understanding how to make the, the actual processes run more smoothly. So we've got all the stuff on hand that we need. And um, so that's been really good. Um, so yeah, that's, I would say that that's the, the most exciting recent development. So is that actually a spreadsheet like Microsoft Excel or is this Airtable based or? It's in Google Sheets. So yeah, it's it's actually a, a spreadsheet. And so you just put in the like quantities and the part numbers and then um, it, it essentially generates a multi-level bill of materials where if you, you put the quantity and then it'll tell you how many feet of um, material to buy or whatever, like how many widgets you need to make. Oh, that sounds like a big help for sure. Yeah. That, that, I feel like that's a, I don't know if it's, it's one of those things where like it's big in my mind. And so I see a lot of it, or if it is actually like a, a big 
uh, industry-wide movement. But like, you know, I see a lot of people in the Insta Machinist community and the Instagram community starting to move in that direction all at the same time, it seems like. Yeah, for sure. There's, yeah, a lot of people are doing stuff. And I, I think there's there's a lot of value to just like making making something that works for you and, and not, there's no, basically like, there's no right machine uh, or wrong machine. It's just um, whatever is the, um, the thing that is going to let your business do the, the best job, just what you need it to. And, and nothing more like Jay Pearson has a, a I think a really um, clever approach to buying equipment where, you know, it's kind of like stripped down bare bones, no options that he doesn't need. And um, it's a really effective way to run a business because then you don't end up with all this extra complexity and um, cost sitting around in equipment that you don't use. And same with software too. Like if all you need is a spreadsheet, then um, a spreadsheet is, is a perfectly effective tool and you don't have to go off and find some subscription software if that's not what you need. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, don't buy a full-blown ERP system if you only need a spreadsheet, for sure. Um, so did you guys do a big Black Friday sale? Are you recovering from that or recovered from that? No, we don't. We try not to do too many sales. Um, like there's, you just, essentially, my own personal view, maybe this is um, a wrong-headed, but my own personal view is that like if you do like if you get into the coupon code sale kind of thing routine with your customers, then then it it just kind of like um, promotes a, a mindset in your customers of like a race to the bottom on price um, and sort of a commodification of of what you're doing. And um, you know, there's there's plenty of people that can do um, similar looking or let's say like a, a similar shape of a part to what we're doing, um, but at a much lower quality and a much lower cost. And so we want to try to differentiate ourselves as much as we can in the market and not be the lowest cost. Um, and it's expensive to run a business and um, uh, we need to, to try to build our sales in other ways besides doing uh, Black Friday sales. So I've, I've tried to avoid it um, thus far. And so we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> well, that's good though. That means you're, you're headed into the holidays more or less stress-free or at least not stressed from black Friday. So that's, that's good. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we had a, had a, a busy month, but um, yeah, we're, we're like, basically it's, it's, it's not a business where we're, um, mandating that people work overtime and like everything we need to have be able to run the business so that it gets done during regular business hours and um not not stretch our employees because we want people to um, go home and have happy healthy lives and um go have their time away from work and, and then when it's time to work again come back and do what needs to be done totally yeah that's that's a I'm sure they value you as a boss having that kind of mindset. Yeah, I think so. Well, very cool. And then I, uh, the question I ask all my guests is what did you research this week? This week? Um, so on the business side, uh, I've been trying to learn more about um, 
sales and marketing and um, SEO uh, to try to get the, the um, website e- e-commerce um, figured out a little bit better. Like uh, my skill sets are definitely more on the, the technical manufacturing side and less so on the, the marketing and sales side. So I've been doing some research on, on those aspects and, um, on the non-business side, um, I got a really good Szechuan, um, cookbook. So I've been reading about, um, Szechuan recipes and Szechuan cuisine and, uh, cooking with some peppercorns and chili peppers. So that's good. Oh yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. That's such an interesting, uh, peppercorn and mouthfeel the kind of numbing spice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I never knew that that was like a, um, it's like a prickly ash, uh, berry. It's like, uh, the seed from a tree. It's like not a, not a peppercorn, like from a pepper plant that we would normally think of like a black pepper. Oh, I didn't realize that either. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. How about you? what do you research this week? Uh, so I've been doing a little bit of research into 3D scanners, not oh, because sweet. we need one, but just kind of always wanted one. And um, I mean, as I've spoke about at length on the podcast, I'm, both Brad and I are kind of big gearheads. And so the ability in the future, whenever that may come to be able to scan and replicate items that you know are no longer available or that we want to improve would just be super epic. So uh, <laughs> I've just been doing a little bit of research on that on the side. Uh, and then as far as shop new things, we finally got our new compressor and got that installed mm, last Sunday. That has been such a big quality of life improvement. Um, yeah. I, I can't even express how awesome it is. <laughs> what did you end up getting? We got a 10 horsepower variable drive Eaton screw compressor. Cool. And so it, you know, just coming from a piston compressor is probably (laughs) 10 decibels less. And because it's variable drive, it really only spools up as much as it needs to, to maintain pressure. And then it idles for a couple minutes waiting for any load and then shuts off if it doesn't see any load. Um, Yeah. It's still kind of freaking me out every time it comes on because I'm not used to the, the noise of it. Um, so I'll be machining something and I'll hear it come on and think that the machine is doing something weird. But besides that, it's, uh, it's great. It it really is so amazing. And I come home, it's only been less than a week now, but I come home less tired. I think just from, you know, there's not that percussive beating the air all day or all night. Um, Yeah. yeah, so that's, that's been really nice and we're, I just started running op one on our holiday ornaments. And so we're going to be running those throughout the weekend. They're obviously going to be a little late this year, but as long as I get them delivered in early January, I still feel pretty good about them. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's been been nice. We're, we're slowing down. I've got a week off of my day job starting on Thursday. So tomorrow's my last day. And then I get to spend some time in the shop and spend some time at home and, and all that fun stuff. Good deal. And then you guys are off for a little while too, right? Uh, yeah, we um, we're off for a couple days for Christmas and a couple days for New Year's. And I've been working remotely for pretty much this whole month. 
Oh, wow. That's great. Just been uh, popping back to the shop for um, basically a, a couple days a week and then working remotely the rest of the time. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good test of to see uh, see how robust the processes are. Have you noticed anything breaking down in your absence that has kind of informed your processes? Uh, no. <laughs> I've been, been pleasantly surprised that we have a, a super awesome team of guys and uh, they're super capable. Um, so even the processes that are difficult and um, have been uh, slightly problematic, they've been able to, to fix um, without me being there. So it it's probably better for everyone. The more the less I'm there, it's probably a benefit to everyone because that means that I'm not doing production um, stuff that I shouldn't be doing, and I, I'm focusing hopefully more on more useful things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like Definitely. selling more parts. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then thinking up your next parts, I'm sure. Right. So what does the near future hold for you guys? You, you talked about hiring a couple more people. Is there more machinery in your future? I mean, I mean it sounds like you might not have room for it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we're pretty much tapped out on the, the equipment. Uh, um, so yeah, uh, probably um, like you said, hires. Um, and uh, we, we do have uh, some new products uh, kind of in the pipeline. Um, but really figuring out how to increase our throughput with uh, the resources that we have. The, I, I'd really love to, to figure out some, some more automated, um, automated parts finishing solutions, whether that's like a UR robot or um, some other automated, like it, doing, doing hand finishing is very time consuming and um, takes a lot of skill. So I, I really need to figure out some way to um, streamline that a little bit and take some of the hours out of it. We'll probably end up still um, doing some, we'll never get rid of it entirely, but I think we could, we could at least automate some of the initial stages of it such that it could um, increase our throughput quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and you, you've got already got experience in robots and, processes like that so um it kind of sounds like it would fit your maybe really yeah i mean it would fit your business model you know keeping a smaller shop smaller staff get a robot that can do all the boring stuff for you guys and, and keep you guys doing the the really high-end finishing and all of that yeah yeah how about you what's what's next for you uh in the coming year so this next year is going to be the year that i transition to protium full-time so sweet man you'll you'll never look back (laughs) that's what everybody said and so yeah the the beginning of the year is going to be kind of prepping both my personal life and the business for that and you know getting things in order we have a a accounting software but i kind of have to go in and figure out payroll and figure out all that stuff and talk to my accountant about all that and just kind of get my ducks in a row and brad and i need to we're going to lay out both a list of things we need to get done for me to be able to go full time. And I really want to, especially after reading the beginning of traction so far, I want to go through and do the uh, BTO organizer that they have and, and really verbalize and solidify our strategies, our you know goals, all of that stuff 
um, so that we are 100% on the same page. Let me give you one more book that you should read before you go off on your own, which is called uh, Simple Numbers by Greg Crabtree. And so he talks a lot about um, like understanding your business and understanding um, kind of like giving you something to shoot for in terms of um, what your net profit should be as a percent of, of sales. And most, maybe most importantly is his discussion of paying yourself a market wage and owner compensation and how to, um, how to kind of get out in front of problems. If you have a business partner, um, oh, okay. how to get out in front of like deciding like how much you pay, uh, yourselves based on the, the, the roles in the company that you have. It, it's, it's really a really, really fantastic, fantastic book. And it was, I wish that I had uh, read it um, right at the very beginning of starting the business instead of uh, recently. Well, I just bought it. So I will. Oh, sweet. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that the more you said it about it, the more I was like, this really hits home. Like, uh, you know, six months ago, I would have been like, eh, I don't know if I'll get anything out of this, but um, no, it's awesome. It's super yeah, good. It, thankfully brad and i have been pretty pretty good about getting out in front of the kind of problems like that we you know i just decided this last weekend you know when i'm going to start transitioning away from my day job and all that and uh we started talking about how much i would make and all that and we were pretty much right on the same page so um i mean we we still need to finalize a whole lot of things and i definitely don't think that this is going to be a a short road but um i it was encouraging yeah, it's exciting, man. It, uh, it's uh, I'm interested to hear how it goes, and um, please let me know if I can be of any um, help along the way. Um, be happy to to uh, help as much as I can. Yeah, I'm sure I will lean on a lot of the business owners I've talked to, you included, um, for advice and all of that. Uh, it's a little bit scary, but also so exciting. Um, yeah, I'm just so incredibly excited for the future. Yeah, no, that's awesome. There, there's very, it's very difficult to create any leverage in, in terms of like creating wealth if you're working for somebody else. Um, and so there's a, um, yeah, so going out on your own, um, is a, is a huge step to increasing your own amount of freedom and um, your own ability to control your own destiny. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as one of my friends put it um, when I was talking to him about it, he was like, you know, worst case you fail and you got to find another job and now you might be on a management track because now right. you run a business, you know, and it's like, he's like, yeah. you know, you're, you're young, you don't have kids. Like what's the worst that can happen? Like you, you can fail a few times and still be all right. I was like, yeah, that's, that's fair. So yeah, totally. Well, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I know I definitely learned a lot and it gave me a lot to think about as far as hiring and, and uh, just kind of more the practical nature of running a business. Like I think that I get stuck sometimes talking about the big, you know, higher ideas of running a business and, and really the cerebral stuff of it and not like the, this is what you actually have to do. And then this is how you hire and this is how you, you know, 
make sure that things are working. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us that insight. Yeah, no worries. My pleasure. Hopefully uh, some of what I rambled on about was um, useful to somebody. And uh, if anybody has any other questions, feel free to hit me up on the Instagram or email or whatever and uh, have a chat. Yeah. And, and to recap your Pantechnicon design on Instagram as well, right? Yep. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Jacob. And thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week with Brian Danola of Autodesk. So have a great night. Cool. Thanks.